Hello and welcome to another episode of Virtual Legality. I'm your host, Richard Hogue, managing member of the Hogue Law Business Law Firm of Northville, Michigan. And every once in a while, a story comes around here that talks about streaming, Twitch streaming, YouTube streaming, Facebook streaming, wherever you might be streaming, and gives us the opportunity to once again talk about things like the DMCA, fair use, broadcast rights, copyright holder rights, and of course, that word we love here, large S, which a commenter once asked me, why are you keep talking about a large S, like a Superman S on people's chests? I'm talking about the word large S, meaning the buy your leave power of someone that has a legal authority to something, but chooses not to prosecute or otherwise end behavior that infringes on its rights because it views that infringement as somehow good for it, which is the case with video games, video game companies on Twitch, Facebook, YouTube, and elsewhere isn't so much the case as we have seen in the stories we've covered here in respect of music and television. And television broadcast rights are what we're going to talk about today. On your screen is the Washington Post article we're going to be using as the foundation for our discussion of fair use, DMCA takedowns, Twitch streaming, and the like. And it concerns one of Twitch's most popular streamers, XQC, and his filing of a counter notice on a DMCA takedown put forth by the Olympics after he broadcast Olympic events. Let's take a look at the Washington Post article. On July 27th, Felix XQC Lengel, and I apologize in advance for any mispronunciation of his name, watched a YouTube clip of a badminton match from the Tokyo 2020 Olympics before a Twitch audience of over 50,000 viewers. For most of the video's more than 10-minute duration, Lengel's mouth was agape in astonishment. Ah, he yelled as one badminton player dove for a lightspeed save. He's doing the splits. What Lengel improvised commentary lacked in expertise, it made up for with enthusiasm. The next day, the International Olympic Committee got him suspended from Twitch. Twitch is owned by Amazon, it should be noted, whose founder Jeff Bezos also owns the Washington Post. Always a good disclaimer, pretty high up here in the article, so that's fair. It says, when Lengel's Twitch channel was disabled late last month, it came in the wake of what he and other streamers call a DMCA. An organization, in this case, the IOC, invoked the 1998 Digital Millennium Copyright Act to require Twitch to take his channel offline to avoid being held responsible for his copyright violation. The past week on Twitch has been defined by Lengel's decision to contest that DMCA to, in effect, challenge the Olympics. Now, what basis did he challenge them on? This is transformative content. This is fair use. And this is not what the Olympics claim it is, he said during a Twitch stream on August 1st, after he returned from his suspension. Ever an entertainer, he continued by teasing that if this escalates, it'll get crazy, and cackling faux incredulously at the suggestion that a court case could cost millions. Langell declined to comment for the story. So one thing, as we read through this, is noting that XQC himself is not commenting here. This is all pulled from his Twitter, where he admitted to being banned. I think I got my channel live DMCA'd. I took necessary precautions, according to him, and thought it would be fine. Really didn't expect it, but I could have easily avoided this. Sorry for everyone involved, including the viewers. I'll be better slash smarter next time and follow guidelines more strictly. Now, the interesting part about that kind of tweet from a legal perspective is, oh, it sounds like you're admitting that you violated some guidelines, maybe some rules, maybe some laws, and you put that out on Twitter for everyone to see and report on. That's neither here nor there for what this issue is, however, which is he's got a DMCA takedown notice after apparently saying things like, ah, 
while watching a badminton clip of what is close to a live event. Obviously, them taking place in Japan, it being recorded on YouTube. There's a couple of layers of recording here, but for the most part, the law is going to give the benefit of the doubt to relatively close in time to when something happened. And then the question becomes, is this commentary, what we might call a reacts stream or a reacts video here on YouTube, doing enough work to allow him to use someone else's copyrighted content? As we do in virtual legality, we're going to go over the foundational rules here because we do it every once in a while. So if you like, you can skip those aspects. I'll put chapters in this video, but I think it's important to having the conversation correctly. And it's one of those topics that has come up again and again. I've got on your screen now the thumbnail from one of our more popular videos. This was, I believe, the first video that we ever did that went over 100,000 views early last year about MXR plays versus Jukin Media that had copyrights to these video clips that this particular YouTube channel was reacting to. And we had a conversation about what was happening there. Most specifically, we had a conversation about the DMCA, fair use, copyright, and the rest. Now, if you aren't familiar with the DMCA, or if you are perhaps even more dangerously familiar with it through things like Twitter or even Washington Post articles, it's always useful to go to the primary source. We've got on screen the DMCA, and we can talk about what it does. And yes, lawyers that are watching or listening, the DMCA is bigger than this, but we're talking about it specifically with respect to takedown notices on streaming services. It says, a service provider, that's Twitch to you and me, shall not be liable for infringement of copyright if the service provider does not have actual knowledge that the material that was put up on its service is infringing, in the absence of such actual knowledge, is not aware of facts or circumstances from which infringing activity is apparent. So we've got here two kind of classes here. You don't actually know it. Oh, that's infringing, but we're going to allow it anyway. Or there isn't so much indicia or facts on the outside that you should know. Any reasonable person would realize it's infringing because, hey, you stumbled across it. And, oh, I don't know. It's an Olympic broadcast when you know NBC is the broadcast partner here in the United States and that the International Olympic Committee makes money funding the Olympics by selling those broadcast rights to various broadcasters across the globe. Or, upon obtaining such knowledge or awareness, acts expeditiously to remove or disable access to the material. So if you don't have knowledge, if you don't have reason to know, and if you do find out you take it down immediately, you're going to be good under the DMCA. You won't be liable as Twitch or as YouTube or as Facebook for the infringement of another, of XQC's infringement or some other party, right? It says, upon notification of claimed infringement, as described in paragraph three, if you respond expeditiously to remove or disable access to the material, that's how you get all of this protection. And that paragraph three is what we know as a DMCA takedown notice. This is the notification you'd have to go through at Twitch or YouTube or anywhere else. You file that notification and it says, if Twitch takes it down immediately, it isn't responsible for your infringement. But there's a second part about this. It says, first of all, the baseline rule is going to be that Twitch shall not be liable to any person for any claim based on Twitch's good faith disabling of access to or removal of material or activity claimed to be infringing. The baseline rule that the DMCA sets up here is that Twitch isn't going to be liable to you for taking your stuff down. It says there's an exception though. Paragraph one, that's where the exception lives, shall not apply unless the service provider takes reasonable steps promptly to notify the person whose material they took down. And then upon receipt of a counter notification, provides notification to the person claiming the issue that they're going to put it back up and then replaces the stuff they took down not less than 10 nor more than 14 business days following that counter notice. 
unless its designated agent at Twitch receives notice from the person claiming infringement that they've filed an action seeking a court order. That's why you get so many videos and things on social media that says XQC is suing the Olympics or a lawsuit is the only thing that can develop from here. No, that's not in fact the case. And one of the things that's important to notice here is that the DMCA is not actually setting requirements. You'll see the word require and the Washington Post does a good job of kind of alighting what is required here by talking about the fact that it's just getting them out of an infringement claim at the end of the day. That what is required by the DMCA is that you take it down in order to avoid being held responsible. But it's not a legal requirement. If Twitch just ignored it, what they wind up doing is getting in the same boat as their content creator and essentially vouching for it not being infringing, which of course no platform wants to do, which is why they have a fairly automated response to the takedown side of things. Where they don't have an automated response, however, is with respect to that counter notification concept, right? Because the only liability protection they're getting is that they won't be liable to you for taking down your material. But the question is, where would that liability come from in any event? The terms of service at Twitch or YouTube or Facebook or anywhere else basically says, hey, we can take anything down that we want. This is our service. It's our private platform. And if we decide that this is too damaging to us for any reason, really, then we can take it down. YouTube could strike this video right the second and say, ah, we don't like Hogue talking. We don't like his voice. We don't like what he has to say. And you look at the terms of service and I would say, yeah, okay, probably true. Twitch itself says, hey, we're a go-between. Twitch does not have the authority or ability to make legal judgments regarding allegations of copyright infringement. The DMCA and similar laws require that Twitch act as a go-between, processing notifications of claimed infringement from rights holders and counter notifications from account holders and notifying the impacted parties. It's the responsibility of the rights holder and the account holder to resolve the dispute. Now, this requirement is actually a little strong. We've gone over the Twitch terms of service here on the DMCA side before, and they try to make it sound like they have legal obligations to do things when, in fact, it's just safe harbors that they are getting the rights to. But you can see the difference even here as between the original notifications and the counter notifications from the Twitch side of things. In their own policy, they say if Twitch receives a complete notification from a rights holder or someone acting on their behalf claiming that content on a channel infringes the rights holder's copyright, Twitch generally notifies the account holder. At the same time, we will generally remove or disable access to recorded or other content containing the claimed infringing material. So when they get that original notice, they will almost always take it down because Twitch doesn't want to be in the infringement boat with you. They don't know what you did. They don't want any liability. They love that safe harbor. But when a counter comes in, eh, they use a little bit of different language. If Twitch receives a complete counter notification from an account holder, Twitch generally notifies the claimant who submitted the original notification. At the same time, we may restore recorded content containing the claimed infringing material. We might. We don't know. We have the right to not do that because our terms of service say so. So there really isn't any liability, which means the safe harbor on a counter notification really doesn't exist. And you get into this weirdly leveraged position where notifications are all powerful and counter notifications might not be. So what's happened here, as reported on by the Washington Post, is that this person, XQC, filed a counter notification. And what this did is that this ended his ban earlier than Twitch would have ended it. That's at least has, has been reporting and Twitch doesn't put out standards for bans. But what's reported on in this article and elsewhere is that he had a ban that lasted effectively, I think it was five hours. Uh, and that was a result of him countering it. And Twitch, when he gets that counter says, hey, you're no longer banned. But there is another functional aspect of this, which is that at least as reported, that video isn't back up. 
And we'll talk about that as we get further and further in this video. The second aspect of this, of course, is why are you disputing the particular DMCA takedown notice? Certainly the IOC created this thing. The IOC is the copyright holder of what's coming out of the Olympics. You put it on your channel and then you say, no, I am allowed to use this. Why are you saying that? Well, you see the magic words that you hear around YouTube and Twitch and everywhere else. This is fair use. This is transformative content, which is subbed in for fair use in a way that probably isn't too terribly useful. We're going to talk about that in a second. And hey, I'm also going to say if this becomes a lawsuit, it could get crazy, could cost millions. So you also get the kind of feeling that this is being used as a marketing device. And that feeling will get a little bit stronger as we continue on. But it's important, again, to get back to fundamentals. What in the world is fair use? Why is it so difficult for lawyers to talk on? And to understand that, we first need to understand copyright, right? We look at 17.106. We've looked at it a bunch before. Obviously, this is United States focused. I'm a United States lawyer. So you'll want to look at your own jurisdiction's copyright or copyright equivalent uh, if you're interested in those kinds of discussions. But here in the United States, it says the owner of a copyright under this title has the exclusive rights to reproduce it, to prepare derivative works based on it, to distribute copies of it to perform it publicly, to display it publicly, those kinds of things. So when you create something from the moment of its creation, you have the right to control how it's reproduced and spread and displayed. And if you don't get out of that rubric somehow, then if you want to use it on your YouTube channel or your Twitch channel or your Facebook channel, you are going to be infringing on copyright. And the main way that people depend on having their streams and having everything else is this notion of fair use. And a lot of the times, we've talked about this in virtual legality, this plainly isn't going to apply. Instead, what you've got is a copyright infringement scenario where, for whatever reason, the copyright holder wants to have largesse, wants to allow you to use something because it's useful to them. Imagine that you've got a license to only play a video game on your personal computer, but you stream it out, and that makes that video game sell better. And publishers of video games have found that that is often the case. So while they still wield a hammer to strike somebody if they want, and we've done videos on that here, they don't use it very often. One, because you're helping them sell games by streaming their content, but two, because it looks bad to the public. It has become a norm that people stream video games. And if a publisher swings around on that, even if they are otherwise justified under copyright, they lose in the court of public opinion in such a way that that creates problems for them. We see this a lot, especially with Japanese companies who aren't as thrilled about the streaming ecosystem as some Western-based publishers. So if you aren't in largest territory, if you're dealing with the International Olympic Committee who doesn't want to allow anybody to use anything and doesn't believe in all this stuff, you have to come over here and rely on fair use. What is fair use? Notwithstanding the provisions of sections 106 and 106A, that's where we talk about the exclusive rights held by a copyright holder, the fair use of a copyrighted work, including such use by reproduction and copies or phono records or by any other means specified by that section, you could do anything for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, including multiple copies for classroom use, scholarship or research, is not an infringement of copyright. So let's let's back up a step. The important sentence here, the sentence that sets the standard is the one with this list of things. Notwithstanding a copyright holder's rights, the fair use of a copyrighted work for purposes such as criticism, comment, news reporting, teaching, scholarship, or research is not an infringement. Now that list hasn't been deemed to be limited to only those words, but it has been limited to things like those words. 
Criticism and comment can be pretty amorphous. You can have satire, you can have parody, you can have critical commentary on politics. You can do all these various things. And that kind of goes along with news reporting. There's an allowance for, hey, you're making a commentary somehow. But it's very easy to fall on the wrong side of the line here when you're only adding your face in the corner and you saying, oh, who can believe it? Or, ah, that volcano, as we talked about in an earlier video. So you have to make sure that you're actually doing something in respect of these categories, actually criticizing, actually commenting on to some qualitative effect. And the way that the courts determine whether you have actually achieved that is using these four factors plus more, right? I've highlighted here shall include. A court looking at a fair use question is essentially acting equitably. It's using its own judgment to decide what is fair. So it will include these four factors and it can include more. What are those four factors? Well, the first is the purpose and character of the use, including whether such use is of a commercial nature or is for nonprofit educational purposes, the nature of the copyrighted work, the amount and substantiality of the portion used in relation to the work as a whole, and the effect of that use upon the potential market, not your market, the market for the copyrighted work that you're using, which we know is big because the International Olympic Committee sells their rights to broadcast these things for billions of dollars. So if those categories don't make sense to you, and who can blame you, they're pretty broad in terms of scope, the Copyright Office actually helps try to define these things. And understand, the Copyright Office, despite the name, is not the final arbiter of these things. Those are actually done by the courts. And the courts look at these factors on a facts and circumstances based test. So no lawyer can promise you any given judge in any given day is going to tell you that this is fair use or this is not. But we can take certain things that the courts have done as understanding what those sections actually say. So the Copyright Office says purpose and character of the use, including whether the use is of a commercial nature or is for nonprofit educational purposes. Courts look at how the party claiming fair use is using the copyrighted work and are more likely to find that nonprofit educational and non-commercial uses are fair. This does not mean, however, that all nonprofit education and non-commercial uses are fair and all commercial uses are not fair. Instead, courts will balance the purpose and character of the use against the other factors below. That's right. See, fair use is a balancing test. It's taking each of these points, deciding who wins, and then coming up with some rubric at the end to determine whether you, as the judge, think that fair use has been established or not. Taking a sidestep there, it's also important to notice it's not something that you can just declare and kill a lawsuit. It's not something you could declare and get out of that entire litigation process. It's actually a finding that works more like a defense which means by the time that you would use it in a litigation, you've already spent time, you've already spent money, you've already got legal bills piling up, which is one of the ways that copyright holders tend to leverage what we call their chip stack at the poker table because it costs so much to get to the end state and prove that you actually have used something on a fair basis under 17 USC 107. And that's not fair to people on YouTube or Facebook or Twitch. And I won't claim that it is, Resource differences are a problem in the justice system, but you also don't want bad facts to make bad law. And we're going to talk about that towards the end of this video, because while there are cases where you've got real massive transformative use of something, even video games that maybe don't allow it in their license, and you can see how you could potentially get to fair use, 
limited commentary on a broadcast of something that was created by the copyright holder. The Olympic Committee created the Olympics and is selling the broadcast rights to it. And you're actually broadcasting them in violation of those exclusive rights they sold. That is one of the worst fact patterns that I can imagine. And while we don't have the video in front of us, which is always a problem for having these discussions, and certainly a judge can come to a different understanding of that, it is very difficult for me to imagine a scenario in which if the IOC decided to pursue this, they wouldn't have a pretty good chance of winning, and more importantly, a pretty good chance of having parameters set around fair use that will affect basically the entire streaming ecosystem. Now that's purpose and character. You then get to the last sentence of purpose and character from the Copyright Office, which is what the XQC team appears to be relying on here. Additionally, transformative uses are more likely to be considered fair. Transformative uses are those that add something new with a further purpose or different character and do not substitute for the original use of the work. So understand how all those phrases work together. First, we're only in one factor. We're balancing one factor. And yes, transformative tends to be something that can swamp an argument on the side of fair use, that a fair use person that can show that their work is transformative is generally going to win a lot of the rest of this stuff because they're baked in. They're saying, hey, it's not substitutable for the original work, so it's not going to affect that market. It's doing something wildly new. That's what fair use is about. But here you've got a reacts video, at least as described by the Washington Post. If it's more than that, you know, if it's edited, if it's got some other kind of commentary, then that's different. But here you've got a reacts video to a video that was probably broadcasting it illegally of a broadcast right held by a copyright holder, which if you think about it, probably does affect the original market for the copyright because, hey, I want to watch that badminton match. I can watch it on NBC or I can watch it on XQC. I'm going to get mostly the same deal is a substitute for the market of the broadcast of that original badminton match. The next quality here, the next factor is nature of the copyrighted work. This factor analyzes the degree to which the work that was used relates to copyright's purpose of encouraging creative expression. Thus, using a more creative or imaginative work, such as a novel, movie, or song, is less likely to support a claim of a fair use than using a factual work. Now here, the Olympic Committee is actually kind of in the middle, but even though you're reporting on something that is news, that you're just talking about a sports match, that sports match wouldn't exist without the efforts and organization and money and everything else that the International Olympic Committee and the Olympics in general do. Now, you don't have to like them. You can talk about their corruption and all the issues that they've had. That's perfectly fine. But the International Olympic Committee did create the Olympics in 2020 in Tokyo, and they have rights to its broadcast exclusively. That is distinct from taking a video of a volcanic eruption because that's nature and that's harder to win on a fair use claim because it's just something that happened even though your video of it from a particular angle at a particular time is copyrighted it is of something that exists in nature and so we look at this at fair use and say well it's less likely to be held as copyrightable against fair use than allowing fair use to use that for what it will. Amount and substantiality, the portion used in relation to the copyrighted work as a whole, is again something that might come in the middle. Under this factor, courts look at both the quality, the quantity and quality of the copyrighted material that was used. If the use includes a large portion of the copyrighted work, fair use is less likely to be found. If the use employs only a small amount of copyrighted material, fair use is more likely. That said, some courts have found use of an entire work to be fair under certain circumstances, and in other contexts, using even a small amount of a copyrighted work was determined not to be fair because the selection was an important part or the heart of the work. And 
again, this is one of those areas where we're not having the clip kind of hurts us. It's unclear whether we watched an entire badminton match, uh, whether he watched only parts about splits and things like that. Certainly, if you're only talking about parts of a match that wouldn't substitute for actually watching the entire match on the whole, you've got a better case here. You've got a better case that says, hey, somebody that wanted to watch whether this team beat this team at badminton wouldn't watch XQC because they're not getting that story. He's just yelling things about the splits and whatnot. And that might well be the case. It would be interesting to actually see the video in question. But on the whole, you've got something that looks like it's everything that was being broadcast about the Olympics. You're not putting it in a square. You're not editing it. You're not adding to it visually. You're commenting over it. And that would be up to the courts. And once you get to here... Here, courts review whether and to what extent the unlicensed use harms the existing or future market for the copyright owner's original work. That's where you probably get into a more substantive fight. Is it transformative? Is it using most of what the International Olympic Committee was broadcasting out and sold to the NBCs of the world? Is it something that wouldn't exist without them? And does that still fall under a kind of natural occurrence if we're talking about sport that could otherwise be reported upon? Probably not. Probably the cases that the International Olympic Committee actually formed this is going to be demonstrative. And does it affect the market for the copyright owner's original work is largely dependent on whether or not entire things that were broadcast were put up by XQC. And we don't know the answer to that because the video isn't back up. It's important to note here that the Copyright Office says courts evaluate fair use claims on a case-by-case basis. And the outcome of any given case depends on a fact-specific inquiry. So that's fair use. That's the DMCA. That's the fight that is happening now. And here's what the International Olympic Committee told the Washington Post. It says the press office explained the decision to issue the takedown notice, writing that revenue derived from the sale of exclusive broadcast rights to its media partners was necessary in order to hold the Olympics. And that unauthorized streaming of the games puts the funding of the Olympic Games and the Olympic movement as a whole at risk. When streamers post footage of the games without the IOC's permission, it not only infringes the IOC's copyrights and the broadcast partner's exclusivity, but also threatens the IOC's relationships with its broadcast partners and the revenue that the IOC can generate and reinvest in sports. Now, that's two important but aligned points. Not only do you infringe on our IOC copyrights, not only do you cause a problem for our specific contract right now, you cause a problem for when we're negotiating and selling this contract in the future that we make our money and the Olympics exist because we make that money. And if you threaten that, if NBC says, look, we didn't do very well this year, which they didn't, and that's a part of this story, because streamers, because YouTube videos, and you didn't do enough about it because it's your copyright you have to defend, then we're not going to pay as much next time. We're not going to negotiate with you quite as strongly next time. And so the IOC has a vested interest in making sure that that continues to be the case. And then they put on this particular issue that the Olympic movement as a whole is at risk, which is obviously too strong for one Twitch streamer, but it's about defending that copyright from all the Twitch streamers. If you don't fight one, other Twitch streamers get ideas and they can't fight them all. That's just a numbers game. So this is looked at, I believe, by the IOC as something of a preventative measure. In this instance, the IOC issued a takedown notice to a video posted on XQC's Twitch channel because he streamed worldwide hours of footage of the games without permission from the IOC or the right-holding broadcasters and without any other legal justification. So they're essentially saying here that fair use doesn't apply. And certainly when you get to what I've highlighted here with respect to hours of footage of the games, that starts to look less like, hey, I took a highlight clip of someone doing the splits and more like, hey, I took the broadcast and just put it up for two hours and kind of watched it with you all 
on Twitch. And if that's the case, you really start to have a problem. That's substantially all your broadcast. That's what you're otherwise putting on television. Your commentary doesn't sound, at least as described by the Washington Post, as very transformative or useful. Frankly, it's more of a reacts type setup. It's something that the IOC makes money on, uh, and it's something that they created. So you've got a problem. Langell's decision to push back against the sporting behemoth in league with a controversial social media savvy lawyer has jump-started a conversation among streamers about the nature and future of fair use. As the Washington Post says, does the act of talking over a pre-recorded sporting event and sporadically pausing it to add further commentary fit the bill? Do palpable enthusiasm and a gargantuan interactive chat room add enough to an experience to transform it? The IOC, an organization with a $12 billion NBC broadcast deal and a history of pursuing legal claims against everything from merchandise makers to pizza restaurants, does not seem to think so. And those first two sentences are important because it's what I see people bring into virtual legality, what I see them talk about on Twitter. Hey, I'm playing a video game. No one's going to play it exactly like me. Isn't that transformative? And the answer is probably no. The answer is you've got software, you've got copyrights. The copyright holder has the right to control what that is. You've agreed to a license in most instances. We'll talk about that in a second. That says, I will only use it on my computer. I won't broadcast it. I won't make money off it. And certainly ads on Twitch or sponsored memberships on YouTube or wherever it might be are commercial uses of those materials. And for the most part, I'm going to say you're probably not in the land of fair use. Now, the reason I can't say with a guarantee is one, because it's facts and circumstances dependent, but two, because almost everybody involved here has been very careful in avoiding setting standards. That fair use cases are very rarely actually adjudicated at the highest level with a couple of important exceptions. And instead, you've got this situation where the copyright holder, whether it's EA or the IOC, says, I'm going to threaten you. And the streamer says, okay, uh, we're not going to deal with that. And so we're just going to go away and no fair use determination is ultimately made because neither side really wants to set boundaries that will harm it. Now, the Washington Post continues, says Twitch would not exist without copyright infringement. Every time somebody broadcasts themselves playing a video game and commentating over it, they are technically airing copyrighted content. I don't know what the technically is doing there. Every time anybody does that, it's copyrighted content. My reporting on this article is talking about copyrighted content. I'm using it in fair use. I'm not giving you every quote. I'm not using all of it. I'm talking about specifically what it's saying. That's fair use. And yes, it's copyrighted content. It's not technically anything. Furthermore, the actual statement that Twitch would not exist without copyright infringement is perhaps broadly true because of the history of video game licenses, but it doesn't have to be true. And that's one of my particular bailiwicks here in virtual legality, is you see licenses in video games that allow videos and streaming, that give streamers the right to put forth their own industry on things like Minecraft. Right? When we go and we look at some of these things, we can see that there are licenses that allow their use. Minecraft allows that use. Looking at the Minecraft end user license agreement, we see what we expect from an end user license agreement. The only permissions you have in connection with the game and your installation of it are the permissions set out in this EULA or EULA, as I like to say here. But we also can scroll up and see a different paragraph that we don't see in everybody's licenses. Within reason, you're free to do whatever you want with screenshots and videos of the game. That's a part of the legal contract that when you play Minecraft, you are entering into. Within reason, the copyright holder says, you can do whatever you want. 
Now that's perhaps not legalese enough for my liking. I'm a corporate lawyer, but they try to define it. They say by within reason, we mean that you can't make commercial use of them or do things that are unfair or adversely affect our rights unless we've specifically said it's okay in this EULA, allowed it through brand and asset usage guidelines or provided for it in a specific agreement with you. However, they also make broadly clear what they will definitely allow. If you upload videos of the game to video sharing and streaming sites, you are, however, allowed to put ads on them. So you might have a discussion that you would need to have with the Minecrafts of the world on you know, memberships, on premier subscriptions, on Twitch, or whatever it might be. But just the act of putting your playing Minecraft up on one of these services is expressly allowed in the legal document that determines what the copyright holder has licensed to you. So when the Washington Post says things like, Twitch would not exist without copyright infringement. Historically, that's accurate. It doesn't need to be accurate into the future. If there's anything I could tell streamers, and I can't give formal legal advice to your specific position here, you can listen to the disclaimer at the end of this video, it would be to follow along with what the actual license gives you and to broadcast things more specifically that allow you to broadcast for them. That these publishers and these video game companies absolutely like the Twitch ecosystem, like that streamers are advertising their content, but so, so many of them don't give you the right to do so and just say, hey, we'll drop the hammer on you if we so choose in the future. And that doesn't work for anybody. And it shouldn't work for you if you're making your livelihood on Twitch. The Washington Post frames it a little differently. They say, while video game companies have come around to the upsides of this, what they claim is effectively constant copyright infringement, interest from popular Twitch streamers can boost game sales. Other industries still aren't sold. As a result, Content creators swear by the doctrine of fair use, believing that without it, everything they've built would instantly crumble to dust. And that's where you get into your issues. And that's why we do these videos in virtual legality. It's not fair use. Most of the instances that you're using something that is against your software license isn't fair use. It's just that the copyright holder chooses not to bring that hammer down on people. And if people understood that a little bit more, well, maybe they'd fight a little bit harder for getting rights like are shown in the Minecraft license for the games that they want to broadcast out to the people. Now we get into a slightly separate discussion here on the Washington Post article, and it's about the lawyer that's representing XQC on this. Now, there's a couple of things that you should know. Uh, bar associations, ethical rules between lawyers uh, forbid us really from condescending uh, to other lawyers from talking negatively about their practice. So I won't do so here. I will say, however, before we get into it, that it wouldn't be the advice I would give. And they're playing chicken with the Olympic Committee for reasons that might make sense on a practical basis, we'll talk about that, but that probably don't make sense for everybody else that could be harmed by this particular game of chicken. So let's talk about what his legal team says. We discussed all options with Felix, and he is confident, as are we, that the content in question was fair use. When you counter a DMCA, the right holder's only option is to sue you. Felix is taking on an incredible risk to stand up for what is right here. And that's somewhat accurate. It's also somewhat not. We can see here the Twitter string here that the Washington Post is quoting. We see countless DMCAs come in for our clients and we normally advise not to counter due to the extreme risks. We discussed all options with Felix and he is confident, as are we, that the content in question was fair use. As such, he made the call to take a stand. When you counter a DMCA, the rights holder's only option is to sue you. As such, Felix is taking on an incredible risk to stand up for what is right here. That said, do not counter your own DMCAs without speaking to an attorney. Even if you are right, it can be very costly to win. We are not suing anyone here, and we expect the IOC to make the right decision and let this die. If that is the case, this is a done deal and nothing more to the story. However, we are ready to defend Felix no matter how they choose to proceed. 
Now, there's a couple of things going on here. One, you see the lawyer actually says, I'm confident that it's fair use and we don't have the video in front of us. So we'll yield to that judgment, although I have my doubts uh, about it. But as a zealous advocate for your client, if the client has decided to do this and fair use is always a gray area on either side, you can go out with this statement and nobody can really judge you for it because we can't see the video. The other aspect of this is a little bit of a lighting. The rights holders only option is to sue you is obviously not correct because we say in the next tweet, we expect the IOC to make the right decision and let this die. So he means the only option to continue claiming that there's infringement is to sue you, but they have the option to let it die. And ordinarily the question then would be, okay, is the video going to go back up? Because here, we've got a situation where the video doesn't appear to be up at all. Here's Business Insider. Although the original stream is no longer available to watch, the gaming website Invent Global and other news outlets reported that Lenjel was temporarily suspended after he showed footage from the Olympic Games while streaming on July 28th. And if the claim here by Twitch is that we're not going to restore the video, it's a little bit unclear why the International Olympic Committee would pursue it much further in any event right? Their DMCA takedown notice was to take down the video. Anything that happens to XQC from there is essentially on Twitch, whether it's bans, suspensions, anything else that is required under the DMCA for Twitch to not run afoul of its safe harbor protections. If the video isn't going back up, the Olympics are now over. If there were no other video circumstances with respects to XQC before the Olympics ended, it's unclear why they would pursue this. So what you wind up is a scenario that looks like it could be pretty problematic, because the fair use claim seems so attenuated on a timer where the Olympics were going to end before Twitch had to put the video back up anyway, and a fairly calculated risk on the side of XQC to move forward with a counter notification. So now we're in no man's land, because what this looks like is a scenario where that could cause problems for streamers, and we'll see that in the rest of the article. They're probably unlikely to, because the IOC got what it wanted, and what you wind up with is a lawyer and a client they gets a Washington Post article about it and says, hey, we're going to take down the IOC or we're fighting the IOC on what might be a bad premise, but a bad premise that is unlikely at the end of the day to harm anything. In Lengel's case, it allowed Twitch to reinstate his channel mere hours after taking it down when the suspension for this type of violation normally would have lasted two days. And then the Washington Post talks about the problem. If Langell gets sued and loses, it could harm the potency of fair use across online platforms. If Ryan represents him in a bad case, not only is XQC going to get screwed with time and money and liability, but he can actually set back the work that we've done, Klein, H3H3, said on stream. If we get a bad ruling against fair use, that can screw everybody. And this is important, right? This is ultimately what I went out with, right? They said streamers are worried about XQC's spat with the International Olympic Committee. I said they should be yesterday on Twitter. It says, because the IOC doesn't mess around. The video is, as described, almost a sure loser. Limited commentary, total use of an event created by the copyright holder directly affects their market. And precedent could result in more DMCA takedown rights. We have covered it in this space, but the copyright office is not on the side of independent content creators. They just released a report last year that talked about the fact that the DMCA was a problem, not because it was abusively used by people that weren't considering fair use, but because it wasn't good enough at allowing the Disney's and the music companies of the world to actually get their content removed. So you're in an environment and an ecosystem that already exists to say this isn't working, not because it's too abusive to you, but because it doesn't help copyright holders enough. 
And yes, you could get a judge that works with you. Yes, you could get a court system that works with you in the short term. But even if you get that case, what you get is a copyright office that says this law should be reformed because we don't want these scenarios to exist. The law looks at this and says, hmm, the International Olympic Committee really should have this right in most circumstances. And we are having trouble figuring out why they wouldn't. And if they were to even win this case on the Twitch side, on the XQC side, that's something that again arises in copyright problems. In reality, Huffman said, and this is another lawyer on Twitter, fair use is something only a judge and jury can decide and thereby resists easy characterization and definition. If he's broadcasting it on Twitch, the IOC is going to have a reasonable argument that a person who watches his Twitch stream is not also going to watch it on NBC's Peacock, right? Maybe from their perspective, XQC is not a problem, but if they don't pursue one, do they end up with 300 streamers that allow a viewer to click around to different streams on Twitch and see the whole of the Olympics without buying it? And that's the big problem that the IOC has done. And then when we talk about Morrison here, he's got problems coming from streamers and he's the agent for this particular Twitch streamer and all this other stuff that we're not going to get into because as I said, we're not going to talk about other lawyers' business. But you do see here one important aspect and it says no counterclaim his firm has handled has ever gone to court. So when we're talking about this counter process, it's not with Mr. Morrison's expectation that this is going to go to court. It's his expectation that the IOC is going to drop it, probably because the video in question was removed and the IOC doesn't actually care about XQC. They care about making sure their videos are removed. And more specifically, when we're talking about commercial copyright law, they're concerned about their exclusive licensing to NBC and whoever, and they have an obligation, almost undoubtedly in those contracts, to try to defeat breaches and infringements around the world when they happen. So they're trying to make their broadcast partners happy, not the least of which, so that they can negotiate the next contract even better. The Washington Post finishes with a kind of similar through line. In the meantime, even if nothing comes of the IOC case, Twitch streamers like Lengel, as well as adjacent figures, are going to get engagement out of it. You know, it's true with everybody. They hit go live and they're putting on a show. Morrison said. So like most copyright and fair use issues, and the reason I made this video is there's a lot going on. Is it fair use? We can't honestly know that without the video in question, but it certainly strikes me as having problems from the way that the Washington Post describes it. Is the DMCA takedown notice legitimate? Sure. Is the counter notice legitimate? That depends on fair use. And more specifically, we don't know what Twitch is going to do with that counter notice other than ending the ban or suspension early. If that video is never going back up, and frankly, I don't even know if technologically they can put a video like that back up. So if it's not going back up, the IOC's interest in this case might well be done. That on the other hand, the IOC is one of the more litigious copyright holders in the world, and they might choose to just try to make an example out of all this. If they do that, then yes, streamers should be worried because bad facts do make bad law. And in this particular circumstance, you've got a situation where I could easily see a court deciding that the IOC is correct and making some very, very bad sentences for anybody that chooses to stream things on Twitch, whether it's video games, music, television, or otherwise. And that should be something that everybody is concerned about. If you like these conversations about business and law, video games, technology, streaming, and elsewise, please consider supporting the channel. We've got supporting links to Patreon and others below. Otherwise, just subscribe. Tell folks that we're having these conversations here on YouTube. I very, very much appreciate it. And we love the growth we've seen on the channel recently. If you caught this on YouTube, thank you so much for watching. If you listen to it as a podcast, thank you so much for listening. And I will catch you on the very next episode of Virtual Legality. Virtual Legality is a YouTube video series with audio podcast versions presented as commentary 
and for education and entertainment purposes only. It does not constitute legal advice and does not create an attorney-client relationship. If you have legal questions about the topics discussed, please consult your own legal counsel.